0: coming up in episode 178 of Wheel Bearings. We're driving the 2021 Ford F-250 Platinum Diesel, 2021 Toyota Sequoia Nightshade, and the 2021 Nissan Rogue SL. We talk about the official creation of Stellantis, automaker subscription services shutting down, GM's new Bright Drop venture, and Mazda canceling the diesel you probably didn't know you could buy. After all that, we finished up with a question that sparked its own lively discussion. That's all ahead on episode 178 of Wheelbearings.
1: What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Shopify!
2: Did
4: you know you can support Wheel Bearings directly? Head to Patreon.com/WheelBearingsMedia, and you can become a patron today. Your contributions will help fund the platforms and tools we use to bring the podcast to you, and exclusives and improvements are already on the way thanks to your generosity. So, if you want to be part of an automotive podcast like no other, head to Patreon.com/WheelBearingsMedia. Yeah. This is wheel bearings. I am Dan Roth from Forbes. I'm Sam Abual samich from Guidehouse Insights,
3: and I'm Rebecca Lindland from Rebecca Drives.
0: All right. So before I get started, we have a few uh, Patreon supporters, Patreon patrons who have signed up since last time. We're up to 38 active patrons. Right? Wow! Um, and so we have to <laughs> make sure that we. We thank them. So since the last episode, we have some new folks who have signed up since then. So uh, Steve Doyle, uh, Chad Leachman, he's in Canada. So I see like Canadian money.
4: <laughs> I think, we won't hold that against you, Chad. No,
0: it's fine. It's more. <laughs> like It's the same, but it's, it's a bigger number. Uh, and then uh, Liari uh, is the username. Uh, so thank you. John Bonesteel, which is a fantastic name fantastic um, name <clears throat> um, it reminds me of that traffic song John Barleycorn Must Die um, yeah. Rick Gibbons and uh, Dave Marsh uh, another uh, another listener from Kanuckistan. so thank you everyone for pledging your support again Sally Field you like us you really like us <laughs> Let's talk about what we're driving. Uh, And I'll be real quick because I've had different versions of the same (laughs) hardware several times over the last year. Please don't stop because I love it. I've got a Ford F-250 Platinum with the Tremor package and the 6.7 liter diesel. And uh, Rebecca, I think this is the truck that um, when I mentioned the last F-250 I had, uh, you mentioned that our friend Nicole Wakeland
3: had one yes. I
0: think this yes. is the exact truck she had uh, oh, oh really
3: that yeah. would make sense because she's yeah. up in Nashua New Hampshire right
0: um uh Nashua tax-free New Hampshire we bought a hey. bunch of furniture from there live free or die <laughs>
3: yeah
0: <laughs> uh you go to the Jordan's
3: furniture there they have those little space yes. ball ice creams um <laughs> anyway Jordan's furniture was purchased by Warren Buffett a number of years ago
0: oh that's right that's right yeah uh, well yeah. And only one of the guys is still doing the commercials
3: uh, right I because guess. the other one wanted to go to Broadway
0: yeah so good for the Tatelmans. Um, Absolutely. <laughs> I like it's just, again, it's a great truck. I do like the the contrast between that. So the last one I had was the XLT, and this one is the Platinum. And the boy, the Platinum's nice. It's got. Uh, she
3: didn't have the diesel, actually. Oh, she didn't. Okay. No, I'm just looking at her review on RebeccaDrives.com. I,
0: I don't know. I guess they've they've just like spat a bunch of trucks into the um, the journalist fleet, which is fine. I find it very handy. Um, there's lots of stuff I can do with it. I have a bunch of little stumps I need to pull actually like which, <laughs> not stumps, but the footings for, for the deck. Um, so I can use it as a tractor, uh, which would be entertaining. Um,
4: that's, that's what these things are built for.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So like there's a particular technique when you're pulling footings like that. I think you have to have like a, something for it to the, the,
4: um, like a, a pulley to, uh, yeah, th- so you, you can actually pull it up rather than across.
0: Yeah, exactly. You want something for it to, to roll on. Um, yeah. so either, like a log or, or just something soft to figure that out. I'll see how, how, you know, suburban buying suburban guy embarrassing it can be. Um,
4: <laughs> <laughs> whatever. Make sure, t- make sure you take a GoPro or something out there, set yeah, it up. Oh, yeah, and, so everybody and, can uh, see. Yeah.
0: <laughs> it's always entertaining to get the big trucks we'll, we'll in the post, backyard. We'll post
4: that f- specifically for the uh, patrons. <laughs> right. <laughs> Here,
0: here's where Dan launched a 300-pound chunk of concrete into the back window <laughs> of the Ford that is not his.
3: Uh, right. Just to interrupt you for a second, Nicole actually did have – it was- the f250 tremor diesel Yep. i think she had that before. i don't know when she had it exactly was but it
0: red is it or the pictures was it you know
3: what i don't know she didn't take pictures of it oh that's bad for seo you got to take pictures and put the I text believe in. me hey you know
0: the xlt has it's it's a comfortable truck it's a nice truck the the platinum is uh mostly the same it's a little bit more uh dolled up inside it has leather seats that are Quite cushy. Um, they they feel like old school Lincoln seats, like old Lincoln Town Car seats, which is not not a criticism. It's quite nice in the truck. They're they're wide and comfortable, and I feel like I could uh, you know hook a million pounds up to this thing and, and tow it across the country on um, on the interstate, and it would be very happy doing that. Uh, and the the Tremor package too makes me feel like I could drive up uh, along the the power lines. Um and just like you know there's always that story of like well, the power lines the 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 rights of way go all the way to Canada you know, you know? And it's like, all right, cool. <laughs> and I'm well, sure it, they do You but... could
3: go you could go see that patreon guy.
4: yeah, yeah that's right go <laughs> well, see Dave you know the um the super duties uh you know they you can get those with a fifth wheel towing package and depending on the configuration like I think an F450 dually. Uh, fifth wheel can tow about thirty-two thousand pounds.
0: Don't you need a CDL to tow that much?
4: Uh, a good question. Possibly. Yeah. I, I don't know. I'm I'm not sure of the uh, the licensing requirements.
0: Or maybe you don't because the actual gross weight is not. And I don't know.
3: And then maybe it varies by.
4: Yeah, I I, I couldn't weight. tell you.
3: I think one of the most challenging parts of the F of the of the F series. It's just the configuration It's working your way through all the different configurations of that thing. Like if you don't know exactly what you want, I think it could be really challenging.
4: <laughs> yeah, well, I remember years ago, I mean on the uh, on the f one fifty being told that there were about fourteen million buildable combinations. <laughs> That's just on the f one fifty and that includes you know all the different color variations of interior and right. exterior, different trim levels. Um, you know different engines and towing packages, uh, and on the Super Duties, it's even worse because you know you go from um, you know 250 to 350 to 450. You've got single wheel, dual wheel. You got three different engine options now. I mean, so I mean it's definitely in the the many millions of buildable combinations.
3: Well, and then you go down the rabbit hole because you're right. Like on the, I'm looking at their website. There's the the F-150 path, but then there's the F-250 path, which is the super duty, which is different. So you can go all the way down and build this thing and then be like, oh, no, actually, I need this. And then you have to start all over. It's just it's crazy. (laughs) It really is.
0: You know, it's the only part of the market that's really like the 1950s in the sense of there's just so much you can do yeah. uh, and so many options and and ways for you to, to get your truck the, the way you need it. And not only with like luxury and features, but also with the upfitting that's available too, you can get your truck set up for the work you need to do with it right from the dealership uh, and, and a lot of times from the factory, you know, the way they've got accessory switches wired in and stuff like that. So... Again, it's just like another indication of of they've really know their truck customers. The trucks are clearly their profit center, and uh, they're they're doing a a good job at at serving that market. But when you're just a simple car person with simple car tastes, (laughs) it does make your head spin a little bit because any of the super duty trucks, if it's just you know they're if you if you're not doing regularly that kind of heavy duty work, but you want the heavy duty truck, like just pick one. They're all going to work. You know,
3: Yeah. <laughs>
4: like, if you're towing, well, you, you do. I mean, you know, with these things you do want to be careful about what you pick though, because, you know, these things can get very, very expensive. Yeah. Um, yes. and, and you, you know, you don't want to buy more than what you actually need because you, I mean, you will be paying many, many thousands of dollars extra if you overbuy um, for, you know, for your particular application. And this this is something that, um, you know, Ford uh, recently, um, Ted Canis, who's now he was previously uh, head of the team Edison at Ford. And he moved over um, last fall to head up Ford commercial vehicle operations. And he was doing uh, uh, a fireside talk um, with uh, uh adam jonas during i think the morgan stanley conference mm. and you know, he was talking about you know they, they were talking about the the e-transit the the electric van and we'll talk more about electric vans later but um ted was talking about the the e-transit and you know why they picked the battery size they did you know 127 mile range and he said you know for commercial customers you know and for for super duty you know, most of the customer, most of the people that buy Superdudes are commercial customers, you know, whether that's municipal fleets or utilities or, you know, wh- whoever else, you know, or, you know, uh, cable companies. Um, that's that's the bulk of the customers for those vehicles. And they look very carefully at what their needs are and buy basically just what they need they you know so if somebody doesn't need the extra capability the extra towing or payload capability of a 350 they're going to buy a 250 not a 350 because capital costs are very you know very important you know to businesses like that uh you know whether, whether it's a city or, or or a company you know that that upfront cost is is an, a very important consideration for them
0: you only get so many years to depreciate it so That's right. You know, um, and speaking of costs, this is like an eighty-five thousand dollars truck. I don't have the sticker. I looked for it. It, it it's didn't have a sticker in it, but uh, it's got to be right in that. Yeah, range. I think
3: if it if it's the similar one that Nicole tested, hers was eighty four six forty five, including almost seventeen hundred dollars for destination and delivery.
0: Yeah, and I think so. The platinum almost seems like it's not a trim. When you try to build it, I think it's a, a package on top of the uh, the um, limited, maybe. Uh,
3: uh, no, it's a, it's a separate oh, no, the, trim. It's its own right. trim. No, there the it is. platinum. Okay.
0: See, they throw you off with the picture and the, their their website. They have a dual yeah. rear wheel. Uh, yeah. So the platinum starts at sixty five, uh, and it's above the the King Ranch. Yeah, it's got a lot of stuff on it. Yeah, um,
3: it does. But you're right. I think you know to Sam's point of, about. I think it's smart for people that are venturing into this space. You have to have a budget. You have to go in there and understand like what your what your max is because you can rapidly go from thirty something thousand dollars up to sixty thousand dollars and really find like figure out what what your actual budget is and try and stick with that because I think you can very quickly overbuy.
0: Yeah, well, I, I got curious the other day and I went and built a uh, an F one fifty at the site and yeah just not a ridiculous truck uh, the things that i thought i might want it was a fifty thousand dollar truck
3: yeah <laughs> so. that's where i in. i'm in their i'm in their f-150 configurator now and this is not a this is not a slight on ford this is this happens with with the, oh, yeah. yep. the ram 1500 and the chevy silverado and sierra yeah. and yeah it's just the, the whole building a pickup truck Going through the pickup truck configurator for anyone is just a, yeah, you I can mean, a, spend days.
4: <laughs> average transaction prices for light duty trucks are now, you know, just I think just shy of $50,000. And, you know, the super duties are, you know, tend to be you know, a little bit more than that. Because, you know, in the case of the super duties, you know, as you said, you know, like an F-250 XL, you know, base, basic work truck, steel wheels and everything, um, you know, starts at 34000 you know and then you know it goes up rapidly from there you know when you get into an f-450 limited you know you can you can easily top a hundred grand with that thing sava- so you know <laughs> it's all over the map but you <laughs> know what you know what tends to happen with these things is you know a business owner you know like a construction company the owner of a construction company will buy you know a small fleet of these things for uh for the company you know or a landscaping business or you know for a ranch whatever you know they'll buy you know, buy a bunch of 250 or 350, you know, XLs or XLTs uh, work trucks. And then, you know, for the owner, for himself, you know, we'll buy, you know, a King Ranch or a Platinum yeah. or a Limited. All I can know, picture that's... is
0: Mel Brooks just going, it's good to be King. Yeah, exactly. it's
3: <laughs> um, oh, awesome.
0: Yeah, I mean, the and the capabilities – are impressive. It's uh you can tell if you put the gooseneck hitch, so the gooseneck is with the fifth wheel, not the fifth wheel, the gooseneck is this hi- hitch ball in the middle of the bed. Um fifth wheel is a little different. That's the, the assembly that's like a, a, a tractor trailer, but they both kind of do the same thing. You, you tow from the middle of the bed versus the, the bumper hitch. Uh so on a gooseneck you can tow thirty seven thousand pounds. Which
3: is like I mean that's like a tiny house, isn't it?
0: That's uh, uh, probably
3: a lot house. more
4: than a tiny house, you know? yeah. That's
0: right. So that's a that's a toy hauler with all your stuff in it, like a thirty foot <laughs> toy hauler. Um with like yeah
4: like, I mean, look, look at this in, in all but three states in the US, the the limit the weight limit for trucks is forty is uh uh forty tons, eighty thousand pounds. So that's for you know a big eighteen wheeler for a tractor trailer.
3: Oh wow. Yeah
4: you know, so you're talking about a pickup truck that can tell almost half of what the maximum weight limit is <laughs> for know. you know for the uh uh you know in, anywhere in the US
0: well and wow. and until they changed that rule in the early 80s too it was like 60 60
4: tons yeah well um, it's still 80 in Michigan which yeah. is part of the reason why Michigan roads are so bad
0: no 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 in the in the 80s they they raised it it had been 60 tons oh. and then they you know our friend ronnie reagan uh raised that limit to 80 tons and a lot of the roads weren't designed for that weight. And that's yeah. why some of the roads just got pounded to bits, uh, because the, the, none of the, not just the asphalt, but like the overall design of the road wasn't made for that kind of, um, abuse, but, uh, when you think about sixty tons, and this is this is even closer to sixty tons at at close to forty thousand pounds, you know if you can tow thirty seven pounds, thirty seven thousand pounds, and then the, the truck weighs, god at knows least, how much. Yeah, close it's, to 10, it's over six
4: thousand pounds yeah. for, um, you, for you a load that up with
0: payload and people, and yeah, that's a lot. <laughs> um, And it'll do it. So the 6.7 liter diesel is a wonderful engine. Uh, It really does. There feels definitely feels like there's a lot more weight on the nose of this one than with the 7.3 that we talked about last week um, and the week before. Um, And that we had uh, Ryan Matulik from Ford on uh, to talk about. It's the the flip side is it's twice as torquey, it's got like a a thousand pound feet of torque. so it's a really odd sensation to be in a truck that's so large and you can basically just set the, the needle on the speedometer wherever you want it very quickly. And the, the only analogy I, I can um, make for it is, is, like, it's, it's like when you're, you're, you're like setting in a, a control or something and it's got that like indicator. The, the geekiest thing I could think about is when we would, we would set up um, master tapes uh, and you'd, you'd put uh, audio tone on them and you'd want the, the meters to just go up and s- stop at at zero, the VU meters. And that's what it feels like. I can just press on the pedal and the needle just goes up, <laughs> just stops there. That's um, a super geeky way to explain it. So I'm sorry, but that's all I I, I felt like I was just doing that on the highway and it's it's quick it happens really fast like you go from 50 to 70 like nothing and it's it doesn't feel like you're going that quickly but you look at how fast that needle moves this thing is just really powerful because when it's empty all that torque has nothing else to do yeah (laughs) so um it's a it's a really well thought out truck too uh you know I, i think i'd probably skip the tremor package just it's a little bit aggressive for my tastes but
4: well you know it's one of those things you know it depends on what you're using it for i mean if you're if you're using this truck if you're on you know working on a ranch you know and using this truck or on a farm the tremor package might make more sense you know if you're using this uh you know as a as a carpenter you know or a plumber you know probably not a plumber but you know an electrician or something you know or you know for a city um you know works crew you know going out um, and, you know, doing work in the, in the city parks, things like that. Um, which is, you know, w- where I see these things all the time, you know, the, uh, Ipsy township parks department, you know, has several of these. And every Tuesday morning when I'm walking Daisy, I see, see them, you know, see a couple of them parked out, you know, by the park to the South of me, uh, you know, towing all the, the, the big big mowers. you know, they go out and mow the lawn in the, in the park. Uh, and then, you know, they, and they drive them, Drive I the mowers of leave leave the trucks there. Drive the mowers drive the mowers four blocks down, mow the other park, and then come back, load them back up, though, go to the next park.
0: If they had a if they had a a, a platinum <laughs> with the tremor package, no,
4: they're they're just driving you, XLS.
0: Right, I was gonna say there there would be some nasty letters yeah. to the city <laughs> or the town And trip.
4: then and then in the winter time, you know, they mount the plows on there and and you know use them as plows. Yeah,
0: it's. As a work truck, it's, it's fantastic. And I I like that you can be comfortable in the, in the work truck. Um, you know, the, the tremor package has the, the different suspension tuning and the, the large tires for, you know, the, the, they're Goodyear's, but, uh, they're, they're more off-road focused. And and so that's really what makes it feel like you can go just about anywhere it can fit. It is kind of long, definitely tall. It's great for a, a stubby person like me. Like, I don't even know if I, come up like my my eye level may not be over the hood uh they're they're big now and it doesn't have motorized running boards it's got um fixed fixed ones um but at least it's got running boards so you can get in with the grab handles and stuff uh so yeah uh, again uh ford is is really buttering us up with trucks and i like it so please don't stop <laughs> <laughs> um but it, it's 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 it, honestly, at, even at $85,000, uh, for the things you can do with it, if you're going to use it, it's, mm. it's, uh, yes, it's a, it's expensive, but it's also going to give you the work. It's, it's like buying, it, it's like buying a really expensive tool. You don't do it just because you like it. You have to do it because you're going to get something from it, you know, like, <laughs>
3: Yeah. I mean, it's kind of, it reminds me of the conversation we had, I think just last week about the GMC Yukon Denali, like very purpose built and, and serving us very specific type of need, which I think is really cool. Like that, like, you know, people may need the tremor package. They may, may need that capability. And so I think it's great that, that all those options are available and those kinds of choices and configurators. So, you know, even though it can, it can really, run up in in dollars at least it's available you can buy exactly what you meet what you need it may cost you but at least it's available and you don't have to buy that you know that's the benefit of having this super complicated all these choices is that if you don't need the tremor package or something like that you don't need to buy that. Right. Can you
0: imagine if they did like a string diagram or something of like all the, it would would look like one of those conspiracy theory movies.
3: Yeah, exactly. (laughs) We will find the serial killer in the midst of it. That's not
0: right. Uh, All right. So that's uh, until I tow something or yank out those footings. I I can't uh, comment so much about how hard it works. I'll see what I can do to get out there if the ground's not frozen, because it's been kind of mild lately. Um, So we'll see. Uh, I may have some injuries to report next week. Um, in the meantime not. uh yeah, hopefully not uh Rebecca, I was intrigued because you're driving the sequoia the toyota sequoia and i'm I'm wondering if um when you open the door, can you count the growth rings <laughs>
3: <laughs> this is uh i i i did i had i had the twenty twenty one toyota sequoia i this one i had the what they call the nightshade special oh. edition really they named it nightshade
4: yeah they, it's, it's, they launched a whole series of nightshade models
0: last year well no that's the thing Is like you have to ask toyota like tomato or potato like <laughs>
3: which
0: is <laughs> it's, it's a poison it's like it's yeah. a whole okay carry on they named their truck poison got it <laughs>
3: So it had the blacked out trim, like the, the chrome and stuff. Um, mine was white. And I don't know, for whatever reason, it reminded me of like those old 1950s milk trucks. Oh, like the just, Yeah, yeah. You know, like, I don't know what it was about it. but So, so it had the 5.7 liter V8 six speed uh, automatic. I mean just just those specifications tell you how old this truck
0: is it's a nice powertrain it's just not not all i mean it's it's not super wimpy but it's not all that
3: muscular compared
0: to other stuff now
3: but it's well yeah I mean the technology is I think the technology has has overcome the displacement you know like so you can get more with a smaller displacement with a So, but it it was fun to drive. It's always fun to drive a V8. They sound great. You know, there's plenty of power there. Um, I mean, it's, it's, you know, you sort of have this feeling of invincibility and king of the road kind of, you know, capabilities when you're sitting up so high. This also has fixed running boards, but it was easy to get in and out of. But it's a big truck. I mean, you're king of the road. The, uh, however, in this Sequoia, you're definitely not king of technology because I think the, blu- the optional Blu-ray disc pa- disc Blu-ray. player <laughs> for the back seat has a nine-inch screen, and the driver has a seven-inch screen <laughs> in the front. Like it's, I think it's about the size of your phone.
0: Yeah. I mean, it's so, to be so fair, though, old school. <laughs> there's a new so there's a new Tundra coming really soon, and I would expect on the heels of that, we're going to have a new Sequoia.
2: Yeah, I would
4: think I mean, so too. This one, this one debuted in 2008 at the eight, same right? time as the yeah. the current Tundra.
3: Yes, yeah, exactly. I mean, they're both they're both very throwback sort of feel to them. I think that you know this one. So the so the Nightshade version starts at fifty thousand one hundred. I tested it at sixty eight thousand. I and I just think you know, there's a lot better vehicles out there for this. And, you know, the first ones that come to mind are the Hyundai Palisade and the um, Kia Telluride. But, you know, because it's a seven passenger, full-size SUVs, we talked tr- truck-based. I, you know, four-wheel drive, center lock diff. I mean, it does, you know, chose So this one towed 7,100 pounds. The two-wheel drive chose 7,400 pounds. I... You know, it's a it's a lot of capability, but it also feels like it feels like you're driving your father's Toyota. How's yeah, that? because
4: you are, yeah, which I you mean- pretty much are. You know, and, <laughs> yeah, exactly. and, you, and you think about if you look at you know the 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 most direct competitors to this, you know, body on frame full size SUVs, Chevy yeah. Tahoe, uh, GMC Yukon, Ford Expedition. You know, these each of these vehicles has gone through you know, a couple of generational changes. Right. Since and those are better
3: the, competitors yeah. to, the, since, to the Palisade since, since, and Telluride. Yeah. Yeah.
4: You know, since, since this thing came out and, you know, they've gotten substantial upgrades, you know, in pretty much everything. And and those GM uh, utilities now, the, the, the new Tahoe and Suburban, you know, are, I think, probably vastly superior to this, you know, to what you're getting here for roughly the same amount of money.
3: Well, but right. I mean, that's the thing is they all start
4: at 50 grand.
3: Yeah. So, you know, this thing was I mean, it's just it's old. It's old. There's there's nothing there's no getting around it. Was it terrible to drive? No. I mean, it's still a Toyota. It's still very durable and reliable and all the good things that Toyotas are. But it's just I don't I can't make the case for somebody to purchase this vehicle when there's so many better competitors out there. And by the way, this wasn't even the least this wasn't even the most expensive. There's a platinum edition that starts at sixty six thousand that I mean, it still has all the same kind of very flat black interior, very you know, plasticky kind of feel and not in a durable sort of way in a 2008 kind of right. way. Right, in,
0: in a bottom of the recession. like. Yes, I crop. mean, I
3: don't know when it was refreshed, if there's been a refresh at there all. has.
4: Well, yeah. I don't, I don't know. I mean, of, I mean, they've tweaked grills and things like that. Yeah. But, you know, nothing substantive since, the, since 2008.
0: The, the Tender is similar um, where it's been refreshed a couple of times inside but overall, the the milieu is still recession grade yeah. plastic.
1: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, yeah. And,
4: and the, you know, the Tundra at least got a pretty substantial exterior refresh like four or five years ago, um, you know, with new sheet metal. You know, it's still it's, you know, still the same under the skin, but it did get new sheet metal. The Sequoia hasn't really gotten that. And, you know, the market you know's kind of spoken. I, I just pulled up the. So Toyota's uh, 2020 sales. Okay. The sequo- they sold 7,364 Sequoias last year. That was down 29% from 2019. Wait, how many? 7,364.
0: 7, they sold 7,000 like that okay, but,
3: but I mean, but it was 2019 and that was, you know, had, yeah, 2020 trucks- rather had its own special issues. So 20- 20. Yeah. Had but, like a, we had know, a 16. Yeah.
4: Sold a quarter million. Yeah.
3: <laughs> no, for sure. But it's, it's. I mean, I think that, and that's why like when it showed up, especially with the blackout thing where there's no Chrome or anything, just the whole, the bumper looked really old. Like everything looked, the whole vehicle looks dated. It's, yeah, I mean, it's fascinating. I can't wait for the upgrade or for the, for the um, redesign because it deserves it. You know, I think it's still it's a, it's a good, capable vehicle, but it's just been far surpassed by others. You know, it has all the typical Android Auto, Apple CarPlay. That actually worked out pretty well. I think, you know, I actually had this a few weeks ago. We, I kind of jumped over it because I wanted to talk about the Kia K5 uh, last week. So I had this a couple of weeks ago and... You know, I I, it's one of those like I had to look back at the pictures and be like, oh, yeah. okay, now I remember driving this thing
0: around. I mean, again, it's one of those things like it's not a bad vehicle. And I think probably those seven thousand that they sold sold on merit. You know, Toyota has really loyal Mm. truck buyers and they, they have that sterling reputation not the reputation that sterling had but a sterling in a, <laughs> in a good
3: sense uh, well and the other thing is it had it doesn't have the power lift gate which in today's world yeah. is i it's, mean i yeah luckily that the little the handle like hung down like three inches because yeah. i was on my t- well toes. yeah and especially for you know
4: for a full-size body on frame utility that's important you know because if you're not six feet tall you know grabbing that grabbing that tailgate to pull it down can be a real pain in the ass.
3: Yeah. And it's heavy. And, you know, so it is what it is. I mean, I think it's, you know, hopefully the redesign will be significantly better and we'll see one soon and it will have all these improvements
4: and it, you know, that redesign, you know, when it does arrive is going to be coming into a market with still more aggressive competition because Jeep is launching the Wagoneer and Grand Wagoneer later this year. Which I actually saw one uh, in camo yesterday when I was out driving the Kia K5. Uh, saw one on the highway, yeah, and that, it, you know, it it looks it looks exactly like the uh, the concept Grand Wagoneer we saw last fall. Um, I have so- to make a
3: correction. I'm sorry. I just noticed in my picture this does actually have an electronic. Lift Electric, gate thing. Okay. It just was hard to find. I, I, I didn't see it. And so I did end up pulling down, but so I apologize. So okay. yeah. So the grand Wagoneer did it look great on the road.
4: Yeah. I mean, you know, this one, you know, still had the, the swirl wrap on there, but you know, I got, I snapped a couple photos with my phone, Um, you know, as I was driving past it and uh, you know, it looks, it, the the design is exactly what we saw on the grand Wagoneer concept, Uh, cool. you know, and based on the, uh, you know what we saw of the, the Grand Cherokee uh, that was revealed last week. You know, presumably the the interior of the Grand Wagoneer is going to stay pretty close to the concept. I don't I don't expect it to to change uh, to to have any substantive changes to the interior from the concept. Um, so you know that's that's going to be a really important you know another really important competitor here. It's going to be really hard. You know, this Toyota is going to have to do something really special with the Sequoia to gain any significant traction in that full size body on frame utility market.
3: Yeah, they are. I mean, even, you know, it's kind of silly things, but like the sunroof was super small on it, you know, stuff like that. That, again, like all of this has been surpassed. Uh, And, you know, it's. Even if you're late to the party, if you've got the best dress on, that's what everyone notices. But and so that's the thing is they are going to have to go above and beyond because they're so late. They're coming in so late to this where everything has already been refreshed and redesigned that it'll be really interesting to see how how the new ones do if they can gain traction, which always sounds like a bad pun. But you know, <laughs> but what I mean? it's
0: it's true. I, I I'm surprised that uh, we had. I think the last thing I heard was that we had a sixteen and a half million seasonally adjusted sales rate this year, which is bonkers to me given that we were shut down for a big portion of it. Yeah. So there's a lot of pent up demand. So that bodes well for even with more competition coming into the market. Uh you'll I think you'll see that there's enough demand to sustain them all. Some some brands might might lose some, you know, they will be Folks who want to try the Wagoneer, if they do refresh the Sequoia very soon, I, I think there's going to be they'll they'll see a bump in sales because it, it it'll be new, it will be comprehensively redone. Uh, it, it's I mean it's quite old. There are kids that like 2008. My gosh, there's just <laughs> kid, kids that have gone through like the entirety of their schooling <laughs> while that thing's been out. Uh, but it's at its core, it's not a bad truck. It's just. Uh, it was early to the party in that sense. And Hmm. now it's kind of overstayed its welcome.
3: (laughs) Yeah. Now it's showing its age. So we'll Uh, see. So yes. So that was was
0: my ride needs to retire to the drawing room. But Sam, uh, you mentioned the Kia, the Kia K5 uh, and we talked about it. Me and Rebecca were driving it last week. So how did it hold up to, uh,
4: I'm still in the middle of driving that one. So I'll talk about that one next week. Oh, let's tease Um, it for
0: next week. Excellent.
4: Um, But uh, let's let's just say it's it's good. It's really really good. Yeah, I was impressed with that car. Um, but the uh, no, what I had, what I'm going to talk about this time is the uh, 2021 Nissan Rogue SL, uh, which I I did the the media drive program for this last September, uh, which was like one of the first drive programs did you know when we started to sort of emerge from from this thing before it all went to hell again, um, but uh, the uh, I got to spend a week with the Rogue and, you know, it is vastly improved from the previous generation, you know, and the, the previous gen Rogue, you know, is another one of those, you know, that, that had been around for a while. You know, it was one of the older models in this segment, you know, this, this compact, compact to midsize crossover segment, which is, you know, this is the the hot segment that isn't full size pickup trucks right now. This is, this is where you want to be. Um, in terms of volume, you know, you've got the, the Rogue for the last three or four years has been Nissan's best-selling vehicle, you know, since it overtook the uh, Ultima. Uh, and I think in 2019, they sold almost 400,000 Rogues. Um, you know, similarly, Toyota sold, you know, well over 400,000 RAV4s, uh, you know, in the same ballpark with the uh, Honda CRV. And then, you know, you've got other competitors like the Jeep Cherokee, the Ford Escape and and many others. So this is, you know, this is this is where midsize carb, you know, the, the midsize car sedan buyers have migrated to this segment. This is where this is where people that are buying vehicles as daily drivers are going. And so you, you know, and and most of the models in this segment are relatively fresh i think the crv is probably the oldest now and you know that's like three years old four years old it's not
0: even that old
4: yeah so uh, you know you it's a it's a really competitive market and uh you know nissan has done a lot to make this a much better vehicle than it was uh you know the design. You know we've talked about before. It's you know it's it's quite uh, it's it's a departure from what it was before. You know it's picked up a lot of the design language that we have seen in the in the recent sedans, the Altima and the Versa. You know sharper edges. You know it's a more blocky looking design. Um, you know you could argue that it's maybe a little more you know uh, not aggressive but uh, you know, a little chunkier looking than before. Um, but there's, you know, there's some really good functional elements that they've done. Like, for example, I think one of, one of the things that, that, um, that I think is, is the coolest element of this, the rear doors, um, actually open up to almost 90 degrees. And because this segment, you know, the, this, you know, compact midsize crossover segment has become the default family vehicle for a lot of people. You know, a lot of people are loading kids into the back seat of this thing, you know, as they would have in the past into an Ultima or a Fusion or something like that. You know, having that door that opens out so wide, of course, there's downsides to that if you're in a parking lot. But having that door that opens so wide does make it a lot easier, you know, to, to access that rear seat, you know, get kids in and out, get them strapped into their booster seats or child seats. Um, you know, so that's a, a very, very nice feature to have. Um the one I drove was the uh, SL Premium um with and it was front wheel drive. Uh they this year they added a Platinum trim above this. So the SL used to be the the top trim level for for Nissan. Now now it's uh, Platinum. Uh, but this is you know this one was really well equipped. It had the ProPilot assist and you know one of the features that they they upgraded the ProPilot uh this year so it's not it's not the the version two Pro Pilot that debuts on the uh, electric Aria crossover later this year uh, is the one that allows you to go hands-free. So this one is still a hands-on system like the original Pro Pilot, but they have enhanced it. Um, they now incorporate uh, map information as an input to it. So if you have plotted, uh, uh, you know, uh, plotted a navigation route that involves an interchange it won't do the lane changes for you you still have to do the lane changes but uh as are as you go into uh uh, um, an interchange into the exit ramp or even just going off you know going off the highway it will automatically slow you down you know so you don't have to touch the brakes it'll slow you down to a speed that is safe for the curvature of that road Um, you know, or, you know, if you're coming up on a a roundabout, same thing, it'll slow you down as you go through the roundabout, which, you know, is a, a very handy feature to have. Um, you know, a lot of the time, you know, if there's any other cars around you, it, that, you, you it, I, I had to drive for quite a while to get into some scenarios <laughs> where I could actually it. see it work because, you know, a lot of times you'll be behind somebody else and the radar will automatically slow you down anyway. But this, you know, if you, if you're not following somebody, it will, it will slow you down automatically, which is, is nice. It's a, it's a handy little feature. Um, the, uh, uh, you've got, uh, also, you know, all the other array of driver assists, you've got, you know, parking assist and, uh, You know, cross traffic blind spot monitors and cross traffic alert—all that stuff—is standard uh, on the um, Rogue this year, which is is always good to see. The um, one of one of my complaints, long-running complaints with Nissan for the last uh, I don't know how many years now, has been the quality of the displays that they use for their infotainment system. They what
3: causes that. Well, there's it's different a supplier or is it the cost? Yeah, it's, or... Well,
4: it's the supplier and the, and the technology that they choose. You know, there's okay. there's different types of LCD displays. Um, and I, I don't know exactly which one this is. Um, but, you know, they ha- Nissan has typically chosen LCD displays that are tend to be dimmer than other mm-hmm. manufacturers. Um, they're also. You know, when you look at them, you can see that the display itself is actually set back a little bit from the top glass surface where the capacitive surface is. And so it, it looks like there's, uh, you know, that it's that you're when you go to touch something, you know, you can tell you're not actually touching right on where that target is. So sometimes you hit it off by a little bit. But the, the bigger the bigger problem with this is. You know, and uh, as an example, you know, um, you know, one of the things that Apple did a number of years back with their displays for the for the iPhones and iPads is they went to because this, this uh, used to be a, um, a problem, a more of a problem on mobile devices as well. You know, where you weren't actually, you know, your where you were touching was not right at the display level. You, it was you could tell it was sunk back below the, the touch sensitive glass. OK, um, the. Uh, what they did was they went to a laminated display, which is a little more expensive to manufacture, but basically it just compresses everything, gets everything closer to that top surface that you're touching. Nissan ha- hasn't chosen that, um, mm-hmm. but the the other thing is, you know, their their displays are you know tend to be dimmer and low contrast, and depending on the type of display technology that you use, there's um, you know polarized sunglasses are a problem, and I've complained about this many many times <laughs> over the years. And most manufacturers, you know, are choosing display technologies now that work fine. You know, that K5, you know, Hyundai vehicles are among the best. They have, they have, even for, you know, mainstream, you know, relatively inexpensive vehicles, they choose the displays that work really well and don't give you any distortion. The display in this Rogue was one of the worst I've seen since probably when I had the uh, Toyota Prius Prime a couple of years ago, um, when I put on my polarized sunglasses, the, the screen looked all blotchy. Uh, it, looked, it looked kind of like, um, you know, if you have a piece of paper and you spill a cup of tea or a cup of coffee and you, you you wipe it wipe it down, you know, when it dries and you see those brown blotches on it, that's what the screen looked like through polarized sunglasses.
3: Wow. It was how, bad. How much more what a good a higher quality screen be five mean, dollars like what are we yeah, talking I mean, like ten dollars you
4: know given that, given that <laughs> hyundai and kia you know put really good screens yeah. in cars like the venue you know or you know the kia rio right you know twenty thousand twenty two
3: thousand dollar cars yeah you know, i you know I, I, I can't imagine a, that
4: it would be that much you know that much more that's going to eat that much yes you know over four hundred thousand units a year it's going to add up but you know
3: but increase the price ten dollars i I mean that's the thing thing, right (laughs) i pay
4: an extra 20 bucks to have a better screen
0: (laughs) it's not that the screen is going to add costs that you have to take that extra cost from somewhere else and so not every car comes with you know like pro pilot assist or you know the the safety and the active safety features that the rogue does so it's, it's you know what? I'd those, give up like, the ProPilot
4: assist for oh, I, a better screen.
3: Well, but it's, but is, but that's, that was my, that's why my question is like, is there, is there a material cost increase that would need to be factored in? Cause obviously yes. it's always oh, a push yeah. pull, you yeah. know,
4: and, and so and we talk, we've talked about this before, you know, that there's always, you know, there, there's a, a budget for everything in the vehicle, of course. you know, whether it's of a cost course. budget or weight budget or you know, performance, power. Right
0: it's it's like a robbing Peter to pay Paul situation I think at this
3: But point. but again the thing is though that the technology in a vehicle is often the purchase decider. Uh-huh. And so you know yeah it may, so you know maybe not do this super fancy stitching that I'm looking at on the seats And get a better screen. I mean, when you, you know, what are you really going to be doing? Is somebody going to buy this car because they like the stitching on the screen or are they not going to buy it because of that? Because I'm sorry, the stitching on the seats or they're not going to buy it because of the screen, you know, what they don't like on i I, I think in the screen
0: for for me it's it's one of those it's an all-encompassing thing yes they'll they'll buy it or not buy it because of all of that stuff
4: (laughs) yeah (laughs) no no, that's true but um you know as cars become you know in many ways more and more generic and there's less differentiation you know i mean things like you know the the driver assist features you know those are becoming standard across the board everybody's got to have them yeah, you know, the market is becoming more competitive. You've got new players coming into the market with all these EV startups and you've got the traditional players and the market is largely saturated and not really growing that much anyway. Yeah. You know, a lot of it comes down to user experience. You know, it does. It, 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 and, you know, this is better than any of us, Rebecca, you know, the, the user experience aspect of it. You know, if you get in the car and you, you know, you're put, you put on your sunglasses and the screen looks like a blotchy mess, you know, that's, that's a terrible user experience.
3: <laughs> well, and that's going to happen on the test. If you, if you're test driving it correctly, that's going to happen on the test drive. Mm-hmm. That's the thing is that this isn't something that shows up a little while later. You know, this is something having a, having a poor quality screen, I, and not even in comparison, if this is what's happening when you are in the vehicle, they're not even thinking, well, the Hyundai you know, venue is better. No, they're thinking this is a bad experience just in isolation, yeah. you know, and and that's the thing. How is the gear shifter with that floating console situation?
4: It's fine. You know, okay. I mean, it, it's a you know, it's an electronic shifter. Um, you know, it returns back to center. Uh, it, it's kind of like you know it's not that different from what you'll find on a lot of hybrids and evs where you push it forward for reverse you pull it back for drive um okay. and you know press the button for park it, i'm i'm fine with that um that was that was not a complaint for me uh and you know unlike for example you know I complained about this on the Volvo plug-in hybrids you know the they have something that functionally is not that different from this you know where it's just kind of like a little Coggle, it's an ele- still an electronic shifter, um, but, you know, on the Volvos, you have to, you know, to go from new- park or neutral to reverse or drive, you have to do it twice, you know, because if you only if you go from park and you push it forward once, you're not getting reverse, you're getting uh, neutral. neutral. And then the car right. starts rolling if you take your foot off the brake. Uh, similarly for drive, you know, this one, you know, it does, you know, one time forward for reverse, pull it back for drive that's good. Uh no no issues there. And really the rest of the interior of the vehicle I had no real complaints with. You know, the um you know, it's got the in the center console, it's got the, the butterfly opening doors, you know, the armrest, you know, that opens up butterfly style. So if somebody needs to get something out of that bin from the back seat, you know, it it it's you know, it's out of the way, you know, so it opens up, it splits longitudinally, opens up to either side, easy to get stuff in and out um so that's i think you know they've they've generally done a really good job this one has you know the sl the the standard the other models have a dual zone climate control sl has a tri zone so rear seat passengers can select their own temperature uh you know it does have hands-free power lift gate you know so you can kick your foot under the the rear bumper and open up the lift gate if your hands are full and you know putting some groceries in there um you Know it generally rides, uh, you know, rides and handles uh, reasonably well. Uh, you know, it's got they, that
3: cool two-tone roof, too. It I does love the color, the, I love the color selections.
4: Yeah, it, do, it does have a two-tone roof option. You know, there's only one engine option right now, which is the 2.5 liter four-cylinder, naturally aspirated four-cylinder with a CVT. Um, you know, Nissan, you know, generally does better with CVTs than most manufacturers, so you know, not. Not any real complaints there, although I would have preferred to see them, uh, you know, do, you know, offer some sort of electrification option, which apparently they are working on. Uh, and actually, as you know, uh, as we talk right now, just the other day, I saw a report from AutoCar uh, about the, the Nissan Qashqai um, in Europe. You know, there, it's been spotted testing in Europe It's coming out later in the year. Um, the, the Qashqai is the um, is what's badged here is the Rogue Sport um which you know will will also you know presumably be replaced at uh, some point in the next year or so um and the for the the version that they're selling in uh in Europe at least as the cash guy it's going to be offered with um a, a four cylinder with a mild hybrid uh or Nissan's e-power system which is their series hybrid system uh which is um you know has a gas engine that only drives a generator. And then the the thing is electric drive. You know, there's only an electric motor connected to the wheels. Uh, And uh, it's been available in Japan for several years now. They have not offered it here yet, but it's supposed to be coming here. Uh, So presumably, you know, maybe that powertrain will come to the rogue uh, in the, in the next year or so. Um, But, you know, aside, aside from the screen, the rest of it is fine. I mean, it's a a (laughs) nice vehicle.
0: 15 minutes. Complaining about the screen, <laughs> well, and now we're like, yeah, but it's also but, it's a good car. I yeah, really like the yeah, road that, actually.
4: When that's I had it that's the thing. Over. I mean, the, the rest of it is 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 so good. Yeah. You know, I have no no real complaints about the rest of the vehicle,
3: but so you know, that, that
4: screen would like, be a deal breaker for me because well, I, mean, so I don't like I don't like screens anyway, but.
3: so it's not so as bad as you know so other than that mrs lincoln how was the play (laughs) right (laughs) (laughs) exactly
0: i but i agree like i think the the rogue is in a really competitive market and it's a really friendly uh family size crossover i i went back actually and listened to our our show with the rogue when i had it in october um the other day uh just to to refresh about it because i'm trying to actually crank out some reviews that i'm behind on <laughs> like welcome might, to my world yeah might want to actually like get the coverage out there for the you know <laughs> getting the car in the driveway that's sort of how the system works you, you send me the car i get you some coverage um but the the rogue itself is it is a compelling little package i i agree I guess that the screen isn't great I didn't have the litany of complaints that you do but I I also I haven't had polarized glasses in a while so you are like that one perfect storm of <laughs> like a, a, a really technically competent reviewer who wears polarized glasses and drives everything else on the market
4: yeah.
3: <laughs> so I'm confused you said it has three rows but I don't see any pictures no,
4: no, try, try zone it's not a three, it's not a three row it's they not used, a three row Okay. they used to offer a three row option in the okay, previous so Gen Okay, so I didn't
3: see anything. Uh, so so what is TriZone the then? Tri- TriZone, just
4: uh, TriZone Climate Control. So you got right, left, but- right, so- rear. Yeah. So, you know, today, you know, a lot of cars today, you can, the driver and front passenger can set their own temperatures, right? Yeah. The Tri-zone, the rear seat passengers can set their own temperature oh, as well.
3: Oh, I see. Okay. So the, so the three zones so, are the pass the driver, the passenger and the people in the back.
4: Right. And so, the yeah, second so, row. Okay. So, so you know, if the, if the, if the, you know, whoever's in the back, you know, if the driver wants it at 68 uh, and the front passenger wants it at 72 and they, the kids in the back wanted at 76 or at 60, you know, they can do that right um, i'm here for so, your
3: remedial explanations and uh,
4: listen and, these and are one, the good one, one other That's nice a feature that they that they do have which is not something you typically find you know in this segment is um second second row uh, sunshades on the doors yeah you know, and you know if you've if you've had kids dan you know this probably uh you know when you've got kids in the back seat you know on a sunny day you know i mean i know you know when our kids were young we used to have sunshades that you would suction cup on the, the windows yeah. there, you know, to, yeah, to block those. some of the. So they could still see out, but it would block some of the, the, the mesh. Yeah. And you know, you can, you, this is actually standard on the SL, the rogue SL is second row sunshades. You know, they drop down into the doors, you know, you lift them up, hook them on the, the top of the windows and you know, they can stay there. And, and the way that they're hooked up, you can, you can actually leave them connected and lower the windows. So if you want fresh air, but you still want the shade, you can you can have that combination, which oh, that's is nice. Yeah, it's a really nice feature. So a lot of really thoughtful things that they've done in here. I Just someone at Nissan, please find a different supplier for your displays. <laughs> <laughs> and I, the, yeah. the, the, the base price for the uh, Rogue SL front wheel drive, thirty two thousand uh, dollars. As as uh, built with delivery charge, this one was thirty five one ninety five. Um, the the Rogue S starts at twenty seven thousand front wheel drive. Um, the Platinum all wheel drive uh, starts at uh, thirty seven thousand. Uh, and I think you know, fully loaded with every available option, it's still under. I think it's like thirty nine or so with delivery.
0: Yeah, it's a good. Package at a good price. I th- I liked yeah. driving it. I thought it drove well. It was quiet and and soothing mm-hmm. to drive. I think it was one of my comments was um, as a a family uh, car driver, sometimes you just want a little piece. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and, uh, it it provides that. It. It's it's easy to drive. It has those safety features. So you know, in a tough market, it it has some some high points to compete on. So
4: if uh, you don't if you don't drive polarized sung- uh, if, if you don't <laughs> drive with polarized sunglasses, it's fine. You know, it, um, it's, it's, absolute, it's absolutely, it's absolutely competitive because yeah. I mean, are the best. There's no, you know, there's nothing about it. That's a real breakout from the segment, but yeah. it, you know, it is, you know, it is, it is really good at you know, everything else it's got to do. Um, you know, it's just, if you do wear polarized sunglasses, <laughs> that's
0: the, that's it. Polarized sunglass yeah. buyers need to drive something uh, else.
4: Yeah.
0: Or <laughs> just use the voice commands. <laughs>
3: and if you love the filet of fish, right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just six dollars. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular
2: price. Ba da ba ba ba.
0: Sam, you pointed this out: um, is that Stellantis? The deal has finally uh, been finalized, and their their stock ticker symbol is <laughs> uh, STLA, which is really really close to another S-L-A. company, <laughs>
3: right? That was know. the tweet of the year so far. I, that I was so I, funny. And I, so and think I, I can almost
4: guarantee it? you that tomorrow when the markets open in Europe and then on Tuesday here, that there are going to be a whole bunch of a um, whole bunch of Robin Hood investors that fat finger it and buy a bunch of Stellantis stock and run up the price.
0: So the, the thing is like. You want <laughs> sell, 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 sell. <laughs> like, uh, that, I mean, that's amazing. Do, you, do they do people actually squat on typos like that? Like they do with domain names?
4: Oh, I'm sure, I'm sure they do. I, mean, I, I I have absolutely no doubt that this that the choice to use. I, I mean, I don't think Stellantis was chosen specifically for this reason, but I think at some point along the line, somebody realized, ooh. STLA that is really close to TSLA and, you know, transpose those first two letters, you know, and, you know, I, I think that, you know, some, somebody in marketing or, you know, some, somebody, somebody in the company, you know, was, you know, rubbing their hands with glee at that thought.
0: (laughs) Hilarious. I I, I still, I got us. I still hate the name.
4: Yeah. This. Like yeah, I, I mean, it's, it sounds like something from a pharmaceutical company.
3: Yeah. It, yes. I keep waiting for the, you know, low voiceover warnings to come into <laughs> yeah. play. I mean, it may hard. cause it's damage just- to your health. And, you know, if you need to breathe uh, on a regular basis, yeah. and, you
4: know, you know it, it, it sounds like either uh, an antidepressant or something that you rub on your balding scalp or. <laughs> Take to address some other um, male.
0: You know, a- honestly, problem. I think automobiles sort of serve as as a, a a bomb for all of those conditions in some way or another, don't they? Yeah, Just
3: figuratively. Do we explain to our audience what Stellantis is? Uh, Just...
4: Yeah, we probably should remind yeah. them of
3: that.
2: So,
4: so uh, as we record automaker. this on Sunday morning, you know, <laughs> yesterday, a day ago, Stellantis was officially born. This is the new name of the. Parent company, uh, you know, of the of the merged um, Fiat Chrysler Automobiles and PSA, which is the parent of Peugeot, Citroen, um, Opel, Vauxhall, and blah blah. I think, on there, and on. I think there's several LDS. <laughs> oh, um, you know, there, I think there's like seven brands in, within there, um, and this is actually something we should probably discuss a little bit. You know, so PSA and, and FCA merged; they are now Stellantis. Um, Between them, they have 14 different brands globally. Um, What what do you think, uh, Rebecca, I'd love to hear your thoughts on this one.
3: Well, I mean, you you tease the phrase perfectly. They have 14 brands globally, (laughs) which I think is going to be one of the (laughs) biggest challenges. And it's actually, you know, it's there's pros and cons to this. I. I remember years ago when we were looking at the Daimler Chrysler marriage of equals, whatever that Mm -hmm. was, and the, and the fundamental flaw with that relationship was that at the base, their customer was very, very different. I mean, you had, you had Dieter Zetche in that thing got a Hemi commercials, That people, people actually thought that he was a character. They didn't know that he was the CEO.
0: Well, I mean, he had that magnificent mustache. He did
3: have that magnificent mustache, (laughs) but you know, this German accent, like all that, you know, there was, there was, I mean, it just, it, there, there was a failure to blend. And, and I remember talking to some people that were in like engineering meetings and they said that, you know, the customer at its base was just so different. What I like about what I actually even liked about the Fiat Chrysler merger was even though it's a global company, their customer, though, had a lot of the same values. You're still talking to a similar audience. And so I, I think that there's opportunity here with this merger, with Peugeot, to to reap some of those, you know, economies of scale, still respect the different brands. But I, but I think that in those in those foundational meetings about vehicles, you're still talking about a a, a customer that is diverse but has some some core values that are similar.
0: Well, with the the Daimler Chrysler merger too, I think one of the things that didn't help was the engineering cultures didn't mesh, and they sort of forced it. it and yes that so there was rework that had to be done um because Chrysler did things in a much different way than than Daimler did it and they had to align them versus what happened with with Fiat and Chrysler where they sort of let things run on a parallel path to a degree which is a little bit more difficult i guess because you've got then multiple architectures and systems to support but also, by that point, there had been some atrophy at Chrysler itself, or where the the platforms just weren't there. Like they, there was a lot, there were a lot more models <laughs> and a lot more brands when the Daimler Chrysler deal happened, versus was it ten years later um, when they had killed off Plymouth and they had shrunk the offerings across the lineup. Uh, so there was there was less friction when Fiat came in because Chrysler didn't have some things that they had had before. And what they did have were holdovers. You know, the minivans were very old, for example. Yeah. Uh, and so it was a little bit more graceful to bring some Fiat platforms. in. you know, that's what you've got. Like the Jeep Renegade is a, is a Fiat platform that the, uh, Cherokee is the, a Fiat platform as well. And, um, there were some missteps, but overall they, I think they tried to uh, put put the product out there and and like you said like pay attention to the customers match up with the customers um, desires and, and some things work some things didn't you know the Dart was a weird launch where they launched it in manual only which is like that's that's great Sergio but it's you've been to America <laughs> like, <laughs> and it's, it kind of sucks because it, it's a good little car but like that and the 200 they just they they didn't. They didn't really. They achieve. just.
4: They kind of missed on both of those. You know, the 200 yeah. was a little bit too small for its segment. Yep. You know, the Dart. as You said you know manual to, to launch. Yeah. And and you know also coming to market at a time you know when sedans you know were already starting to decline.
0: Yeah. Um. So I think that there's that opportunity here. And I, I was looking at the Chrysler page yesterday. They offer two vehicles.
4: <laughs> yeah.
0: The 300. And the, uh, the Pacifica and, uh, and, and and the Voyager, but
4: the Voyager is just just a decontent, decontented Pacifica now.
0: So I, I, do you anticipate, um, either of you, are you anticipating that we're going to see some brands go away or that we're going to see some platform sharing? And, uh, like, I, I don't expect we're going to see Peugeot return to the U S market, although there's just. subset of fans who would love that I, I think what you'll see is peugeot product return to the u.s market under dodge or chrysler uh nameplate
4: you want to go first rebecca
3: well i think that there's no doubt that there's going to be some brand consolidation you know on a global basis i'm not talking about just in the u.s i'm talking about on a global basis i think that we could definitely see i uh, some very strategic you know i don't think that they're that they're they shouldn't cancel brands just because they want fewer brands. You need to do it on a very strategic basis. I, but I, I do think that we will see that. Um, and, I, and I would hope the responsible thing is to do some plat, platform sharing again on a very uh, you know strategic basis.
0: Well, I mean, luckily FCA doesn't have any. platform, <laughs> So there's that.
3: I mean, what do you think, Sam?
4: Yeah. I mean, I, I you know, I think that, Um, you know, obviously Ram and Jeep are safe, you know, they're, they're not going anywhere, you know Um, the other two, you know, domestic brands, Dodge and Chrysler, Dodge has actually been doing reasonably well, you know, with its niche of, you know, they've, they've been pushing it, you know, pushing this muscle car idea, you know, American muscle cars and the charger and challenger, despite their you know, age are doing shockingly well you know and um even but the you know i've been hearing some rumblings that there is not going to be a replacement for the durango so the durango is probably going away and you know this is you know the grand cherokee l um you know is going to be the replacement for the durango uh because the durango right now is you know on the same platform as the grand cherokee the old grand cherokee and it's a three row it's a longer three row alternative to the Grand Cherokee the Grand Cherokee L is going to replace that in, in in large part because customers are willing to pay a higher price for effectively the same vehicle if it's got a jeep badge on it than a than a dodge badge um so dodge then, is
3: very blue collar and jeep yeah. doesn't have that constraint jeep is right. blue collar
0: aspirational but it's also i think that there's like you said there's there's a lot of non-blue collar folks that will buy a jeep that won't touch a dodge best
3: boys yeah. and billionaires yeah. There, there you go. So,
4: um, <laughs> so I think, you know, there's some significant risk for, for Dodge um, because, you know, who knows how long they can keep that going. And I, I don't think that there's really anything in the PSA lineup that is going to be a good fit for what they've tried to make the Dodge brand into, you know, as a, you know, as a plat- for platform sharing.
3: Yeah. I think that Dodge is, is also threatened um, by demographics here in the States. I think that there's enough, Blue collar Hemi buyers. I mean, I I had the Dodge on the track, um, which actually I I kept wanting to talk about it, but the embargo was still in effect, and um, but now it's 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 um, lifted. But you know that the Dodge Charger was a riot. It was the Hellcat version. I mean, I think that there, first of all, from a profit standpoint, I think that there's enough buyers right now to keep that extreme Dodge identity going. But what does that, what does that group look like in 10 or 15 years from now?
4: Or even five, seven years from now.
3: Well, I was giving them the benefit of the doubt thinking that maybe <laughs> they're in their, you know, fifties and you know forties and fifties, but yeah, for sure. I mean, five years from now, it could be a very different market as well. So I think that I haven't looked at the demographics of who's buying those vehicles, uh, but I think that that, dodge may the, the biggest threat to dodge is is in dodge. some ways demographics because i think they make enough profit on those vehicles to justify the continuation of it um, on a very you know geographically local basis but as you yeah,
4: to- I, I, you know i don't think you know, i don't expect them to announce Next week, that they're going to shut down Dodge. Yeah, no. <laughs> but I think five years from now, I, I think that there's a, unless they figure out a new path for Dodge, you know, and maybe, maybe that's, you know, I saw somebody right, I can't remember who it was now. Maybe it was Elisa Prittle, uh, you know, or, or some, you know, the idea, you know, transforming Dodge, you know, into a next generation muscle car brand, you know, an electric, you know, or, or right. at least hybrid muscle car brand.
3: But you know, part but, of the muscle car is the exhaust note.
4: Right. Well, that, that's, that's why, <laughs> you know, maybe, you know, maybe a hybrid, uh, hybrid muscle yeah. cars, you know, uh, you know, hybridize those with, you know, the same, you, cause you've got the, the technology there, you know, the, this, the ZF, um, hybrid transmission that they're using in the Wrangler and that's going to be in, in the other Jeeps this year, you know, that fits in, you know, where, I mean, that's the same package as the uh the current zf8 speed that they're using in the in all the dodges so you could drop that in there put a you know it doesn't have to be necessarily a plug-in at least uh, to start with put a you know one and a half kilowatt hour battery you know under the back seat or in the trunk um and you know add you know more basically add add you know more power to those things and you know so you make them even quicker make them a little more fuel efficient so that's that's you know that's a, you know, sort of a midterm, you know, long, the long-term plan for Dodge, you know, who knows at this point. Well, I think um, it's,
0: Dodge is one of those, they're a brand, but they're also, they're in that position that we've seen independent companies get into after they build the same thing for a really long time. Uh, my mind just goes back to Volvo having built their, you know, the 140 and then 240 series, you know, for 20 years. And the problem they had was
4: seems like that, it was longer than that. That basically, <laughs> like the
0: 140 came out in 67 and the last 240 was 93. So a long time. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> almost 30 years, yeah. Um and the the problem they had was that like it almost killed the company because it, it wouldn't stop selling until it finally just like fell off a cliff. And you know, they tried to replace it once with the the seven and nine series cars, but they, they were basically the same hardware kind of re, rehash and, and the, the charger and challenger are in the same position where they still sell. And the, they're not a bad car. They're just,
4: yeah, they're actually really good. They're No,
0: I like them quite a bit, um, but they don't have, they're, they're still a car. They're a coupe and a sedan. So the market is leaving those They're Even among the, the, you know, the chrysler brand portfolio right they're they're moving to jeep because of the crossovers or they're moving out <laughs> or to ram for the trucks uh so there's
3: nowhere for a buyer to go there and they kind of the durango to... is there so if they i mean the durango right. hellcat which i drove as well so sure uh it but... is there i think that they're leaving for other you know yeah, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, they're, no, they're leaving
0: for other pastures and they killed the journey. So they had the journey for a while, which was as whatever you want to say about it. It, it was, you know, priced well and it offered a lot of utility and, and um, you know, it was, it was a good deal. Uh, but it was also really old and based on, on Mitsubishi parts. Um, so they need to basically have their 850 moment <laughs> where they come out with something that's just so good and so impressive that, uh, it gets a lot of attention and it, it conquests a lot of buyers. And this is a really hard market to do that. It's not 1993 anymore. And I don't know that that's even something they want to do. So it may make more sense for them
3: to just shut it
0: down. Uh, or I think,
3: I, But from a profitability standpoint, I think there's potentially other brands on a corporate basis that they could kill off or try and merge like a brand like Vauxhall, right. To so merge, it's a very British centric brand. Yeah, I mean,
4: all of Vauxhall is, is an Opal with the steering wheel on the, it, the right-hand side.
3: Exactly. Right. And so, you know, there's, there's opportunity for them to, to eliminate other brands. Cause I, I get, look at, I mean, Fiat, look at Fiat, is Alfa Romeo, like the Maserati. There's other, you know, there's the the brands, the, the breadth of brands is really stunning. And so, but I think that we always have to think about these things on a global basis and on a profitability standpoint.
0: Sure. Yeah, I was being very provincial with Dodge. Dodge doesn't
4: really <laughs> Well, and, you know, I think almost certainly we will not now see the reintroduction of Peugeot into the U.S. market. You know, they hired... Uh, PSA hired Larry Dominique, the former yes. COO, I think, of Nissan um, mm-hmm. a, a few years ago to reestablish PSA North America and, and you know, with the goal of bringing Peugeot back to the North American market by 2025. I don't know that there's a place for for Peugeot or Citroen in, in the North American market, you know, right now. Again, you know, going back to what I said, you know, it's, it's a saturated market with more brands coming in, you know, and... You know, there's probably, you know, there there are some people that still have a soft spot in their heart for Peugeot uh, and for Citroën. Uh, but, you know, whether there's enough to justify bringing two more, one or two more brands into the U.S. market, uh, you know. You, it's, you can have a soft spot,
0: but that's multi-billion dollar. Yeah. Uh, I mean, look yeah, at Fiat. It's an
3: enthusiast group.
4: Yeah. 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 You know, I mean, Fiat you know just got no traction at all. <clears throat> Interestingly, Alfa Romeo actually... Um, you know, even in a down market in 2020, Alfa Romeo U S sales were actually up 2% last year.
3: Well, I mean, their car, the, you know, the, the alpha cars are so much fun and I actually prefer them over Maserati even.
0: Well, yeah, I wouldn't touch a Maserati with a stick, (laughs) but the, you know, alpha also has some, some crossovers. So
3: that helps them. Yeah. Yeah. Um, at least one.
4: (laughs) yeah. Yeah. Well, and I, there's another one coming. Well, and the uh, styling of
3: them are, it's beautiful. The performance is beautiful. I mean, and it's they're great just, to drive. Exactly. It's sex on a stick. So I think, <laughs> you know, from I mean, they are. <laughs> <It's>, uh, <okay. laughs> so, Not touching that.
0: What kind of fair, what kind of state fair do you get that at? <laughs>
3: So I think, you know, it'll it will definitely I'd love to be part of that strategic discussion of what what goes and what stays. I think that that's a um, it's a lot of it's a lot of push pull, like we talked about earlier in the in the podcast. Right. Like there's you know, there's always that if you get put something in, you have to take something away with this in order to maximize the benefits of this merger. They I think they're going to have to look at calling some of these brands
0: we're going to be all very surprised when we find out what they actually do
3: that's this is true only
0: (laughs) only accurate prediction i can make
4: speaking of uh adding brands to the u.s market um (laughs) gm you know just just a day after or two days after we talked about their new logo added a second new logo for their new brand bright drop um, this one seems which, a little
0: bit more promising, though.
4: Yes, uh, I mean, as a product, yes. Um, yes. They, so this, the heart of you know, G- Mary Barra, or actually GM, Mary was you know part of it, but she you know she came and went during the course of an hour-long keynote uh, for the virtual CES this year, um, and the big news that came out of that, along with some you know first teasers of the Cadillac Celestic, um, was the announcement of Bright Drop which is a new business unit for General Motors that is focused on uh, the commer- commercial electric vehicles. And their, <clears throat> their first product actually, is not anything like you would ever expect from GM, which is which is launching in the next few weeks. It's called the EP1, it's, it's an electric pallet uh, for moving goods around warehouses or moving them on and off of delivery vehicles. Um, but then later this year, before the end of this year, they are going to start deliveries of the EV six hundred, which is a new commercial electric van, a cargo van. Uh, you know, targeted It looks, you know, very much targeted right at the, you know, the Ford E Transit, the uh, the Rivian um, Amazon van, and and Workhorse, and you know, a few others out there. Uh, and you know, it's built on the same Ultium platform as the Hummer and uh, you know, all of GM's other EVs uh, and bright drop. And, you know, the interesting thing is they didn't make this van a Chevy. You know, it's not this is not, you know, a drop in replacement for the Chevy Express GMC Savannah vans. You know, this is very much a more, you know, like the European style vans, like the Transit and Ram ProMaster and so on. Um, and, you know, flat floor, you know, battery under the floor, that sort of thing it's actually a little bigger than the biggest, um, transit. The, the it has the, the 600 actually comes from the 600 cubic feet of cargo space. It has inside. Uh, the biggest transit <laughs> is only 473 cubic feet for the long body high roof. Yeah, uh, 600 so cubic
0: feet is that that's, that's a lot.
4: Yes. Yeah, but the, the business unit is, is establishing a whole commercial vehicle, electric commercial vehicle ecosystem. So they're tying in their their telematics stuff, to so you know, fleet managers can track where the vehicles are, when they need service, when they need charging, all this stuff, um, you know, and, and they're going to, uh, you know, it sounds like they're going to have a lineup of a number of vehicles and different variations of this van. You know, one of the the variations that they showed in the presentation showed a, a version of of the EV600 where the whole one side of it drops down 90 degrees and they have these electric pallets in there uh, and th- these E-pallets are are interesting you know because they have little electric motors that can go up to three miles an hour and basically you know as the operator is pulling it around it adjusts its speed to the operator's walking pace um so it's you know kind of cool in that respect but they showed a a quick load version of the ev 600 where you know you the the side drops down and you see you know a row of these ep1 pallets in there they can roll out onto the side and then it drops down kind of like what you see on a lot of delivery trucks Uh, on the back this is on the side so it drops down right down to the sidewalk you roll the the pallets off or roll them on you know so quick quick load and unload and you know all you know there'll probably be cutaway versions of this you know for like airport shuttles and things like that so you know there's going to be a whole range of these things they're not going to be sold through existing gm dealers there's going to be a separate retail Mechanism that they haven't discussed the details of yet. Um, what can do you
3: guys sell think them directly?
4: Um, dire- do they
3: have to go through a franchise?
4: This is what we don't know yet. My am I'm thinking that be, the reason why they set this up as a separate business unit is so they don't have to go through a franchise. I so, think so too. Yeah, so you know, so they can sell them directly to fleets. Their first customer is FedEx. They worked very closely with FedEx on development of this vehicle. And the the e pallet, uh, the EP one pallet, um, and the first five hundred of these are going to FedEx um, by the end of this year, and then it'll be available to other customers next year. So, m- my belief is that they're they they are not going to have franchise dealers. They're going to uh, have their own uh, you know separate retail system. And the thing is, I don't I don't know the franchise laws in enough detail. Um, or what, you know, what their agreements are with their existing dealers. But I think that, you know, because they set this up as a separate business, you know, a separate LLC that's wholly owned by GM, but it's, you know, it's not, you know, it's a, it's a separate company. Uh, so they don't, I don't think they have to go through the franchise dealers. I'm guessing that they will probably contract with a bunch of dealers in various locations to provide service, but not, not sales. Uh, so it'll probably be right. a direct sales model.
3: Yeah, I think I mean, I it any time that I hear that they you're, they're setting up a separate retail that's just as you know, as Dan pointed out, that's billions of dollars. All of a sudden you're talking about in capital investment. So I would have, I think that they would probably have some mechanism to sell direct, like, you know, a fleet yeah. manager kind of situation. Well, and, and, and
4: that's what you know, because it's a commercial You know the the, you don't have to have the same you don't have to have the same kind of retail network as you would have for consumer vehicles.
0: Well, commercial too. Like this, this can be a sneaky way for them to try out some some direct sales channels, though Mm -hmm. that eventually do trickle down to um, consumer level uh, sales models. So that, that's the thing that interests me the, the most is I think, honestly, the EV stuff is going to really take off by serving these commercial markets. They're going to fine tune the technology. They're going to learn a lot and, all of, and, and they'll probably be profitable faster by serving an industry that can, can adopt this stuff on the, the pure practicality of the business decisions versus the emotional play of a consumer car purchase. And and then that's going to inform what they do in five years with really transitioning their consumer business to EV. Because that seems to be where it's going. So Yeah,
3: and, and you know, the thing is with EVs, one of the concerns for dealerships is that they often require less service. Uh-huh. You know, and so but if you're now replacing if you recruit some of these dealers to service these vans, that could be a nice uh, revenue stream to replace any lost, uh, retail service revenue. Yeah.
4: And, and, you know, the reality is that most dealers don't sell very many commercial vehicles anyway. Right. So, you know, it's not on the sales side, it's probably not going to be a huge hit to most of them. You know, there will be some, you know, in some locations that probably do a fair bit of commercial vehicle sales, but for most dealers, it won't matter. Right. And you know, if they can pick up a f- you know, a few extra bucks, you know, providing service for these vehicles, you know, for the fleets when needed. You know, and in many cases, you know, especially a lot of the the larger fleet operators, you know, like a FedEx or UPS or so or whoever, you know, they are doing their own you know, they have their own internal service operations anyway. So right. they'll they'll Absolutely. take care of maintenance. Yeah, themselves. For sure. Yeah, you know, and but like smaller
3: said, companies may not be able to do that. Right.
4: And, you know, so, you know, starting, you know, early in 2022, you know, these will be available to any any business that wants to to buy them. Um, and then, you know, at, you know, we talked I talked earlier about, you know, how companies, you know, the cost is is a much bigger consideration for consu- than it is for consumers. You know, and while the capital cost of buying vehicles is an important consideration, operating cost is also a much bigger component. You know, especially for these larger vehicles, because, uh, you know, when I when I had the transit a few weeks ago, you know, I talked about how you know I got like 13 miles per gallon. You know, <laughs> and for, you know, for an urban delivery vehicle, you know, 13 miles per gallon, you know, that adds up to a lot of gallons a year, you know, a lot of dollars. And the, the transition to electric for that kind of vehicle, you're talking huge, much bigger savings in operating costs than you are for somebody switching from a Chevy Cruze to a Bolt. You know, yeah. the 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 savings in in fuel are enormous for these commercial customers. So it it will it, it's going to be very interesting to see how this plays out. Another interesting element of this at the time when they made the announcement on Tuesday, they did not say where the EV600 was going to be built. You know, mm-hmm. the the Assumption at the time, you know, my assumption was that it would probably be built at the Detroit Hamtramck plant alongside the, the Hummer. Um, but it's not They They announced yesterday that they're going to build it at their plant in Ingersoll, Ontario, which started off, started its life in 89, I think, as a joint venture with Suzuki, where they built the, the Geo Tracker and and some Suzuki small crossovers. Um, and they they built, you know, GM and Suzuki crossovers there uh, until early I think around early 2002 2003 something like that uh, when they stopped building the Suzuki's and they built they built the Equinox there for many years before they transferred that production elsewhere Um, and so that plant is being converted to building the EV 600 so that now makes four plants that have been announced by GM in the last couple of months that are building EVs. Um, you've got the Ingersoll plant, Detroit, Hamtramck, um, Orion, which already builds the bolt, uh, and the Spring Hill, Tennessee plant, which is going to build the Lyric and other vehicles. And it sounds like there's going to be at least one more plant. Um, the, the two Honda EVs are apparently going to be built in Mexico, or at least one of them is going to be built in Mexico. So we'll probably see one of GM's Mexican assembly plants converted. So that's going to make five GM assembly plants that are going to be building, electric vehicles by next year, <laughs> just in that's North amazing. America, just in that's North amazing. America. That doesn't yeah. include China. Um, so, you know, the GM is really going all in on this. Good luck. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
0: uh, everybody's sort of on their, the edge of their seat waiting for the mistake. Cause that's, that's it's the cynical thing, but that's just like GM, GM seems to, have great plans, great thoughts, and then they just fumble the execution in some way. So I hope they don't, because uh, the, this is all really promising. And and once you get GM behind it, uh, I, I think that the industry and, and unlike Domino's, they're going to fall. You know, it's 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 been niche players nibbling at the edges, but it seems like there's such a big commitment now from GM that it, it's going to sort of get some critical mass and, and the industry and consumers will will shift well you got sort of nationally.
4: you got gm here you got volkswagen in europe you know ford also nissan is and nissan and Renault are starting to pick up steam you know Renault and had their big uh strategy announcement uh, earlier this week you know their Renault lution thing that they're calling it and they're going to be oh, launching a terrible. whole bunch of more evs in the next three years uh, so Revolution. and reviving the Renault Five, they're bringing back the Renault I Five. I saw
0: that. I think that's cool. Um, I I do hope that at a certain point we can get past retro, but I I like it.
4: <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I you know I I think that that the concept they showed you know looks you know it's got some some hints of the old LeCar as you, if you're old enough to remember that, um, you know, but still um, you know looks looks modern. You know, it's, it's not. It's not it's not like the Fiat 500 that was, you know, much more overtly retro.
0: What else we got Uh,
3: of of potentially failed launches? I was looking at that the vehicle subscription uh, that BMW and Audi have pulled now.
1: Yep.
4: Yeah. The uh, subscription model uh, for cars, Volvo seems to be the only one that's getting any traction with that um you know everybody else you know, has tried and and failed and i and I don't think that they're I don't think they're giving up on it permanently you know I think it, I think it's going to come back but I think they they need to to revamp how they are you know rework how they're doing it but Volvo is the only one that's you know gotten any significant uh success with it
3: yeah i mean the thing is you know so the idea is that i you a a customer pays upwards of two thousand dollars a month and then they get access to a variety of different bmws or in the case of audi audi select uh and they did it in very you know short very specific markets and bmw actually tried to add a new entry level which was 1099 dollars a month but i just don't think that consumers saw the value of it that's too great like it's I, just I, well and i remember book by cadillac also yeah it's just a like had one that, yeah, yeah. Mercedes
4: had one porsche's had a program
0: until they make uh, a ford a had something yeah, yeah. Uh, until they make a subscription service that's like a couple hundred bucks a month <laughs> they, like you're just not going to see wide adoption you know and i understand that some of the perks that you get with those subscription services like they're selling it as a luxury product and i think that that's a tried and true method right is is you make it a premium thing and you drive adoption that way. And once it it gets a little bit wider out there, people want the thing and and they'll either pay up for it or you can introduce tiers that are more affordable. I, I just, maybe they missed on making it affordable and what the perks are. I, I just don't know, but it just like any time i looked at it i was like that's so much money you could just own the car well,
3: <laughs> and it, and I, that's a hump exactly. that i got to get over too right. is, and wow. I, and i think what what did it what was what was the biggest what was the biggest selling point of them?
0: That you don't have to own a single car.
3: Yeah. But right.
4: I mean, that you had access well, to a variety, you know, all the different vehicles rent in the lineup. <laughs> I,
0: well, well I yeah, <laughs> and that's
4: the thing. You could <laughs> you could go on Turo, you know, if you want if you want it, you know, an RS6 for the weekend. You know, yeah, you could exactly. go on Turo and rent one you right. know, or, you know, or an M5 or whatever. Yeah. Well, also, too, like. You
0: have access to the fleet, but there's still a level of hassle you have to put up with. No matter how seamless you make it, there's still got to be that swap of cars
4: right well and that's that's why these programs are so expensive you know because the logistics of managing them is really complicated you know to pick up you know to have somebody pick up and deliver the cars to customers you know and then sometimes you know depending on how many cars they had in the in the fleet you know maybe what you want for a particular weekend isn't available you know it's so you know i mean the the idea of the Conceptually, the idea of having access, you know, being able to pick, cherry pick whatever car you wanted on any given day, you know, whatever you wanted to drive, you know, for a particular trip, um, and have insurance and maintenance and everything included in the single payment was really cool. But the, the reality of actually trying to execute it is really hard and really expensive.
3: Well, and there's like things like Zipcar you know, yeah. <laughs> which you, well, I mean, Zipcar
4: was, you know, mostly, you know, smaller mainstream vehicles.
3: It was, it was more mainstream vehicles, but I actually remember looking at, originally Zipcar was smaller cars, but then they realized that they needed to expand to larger mm. vehicles and it didn't, it, it, you're right. It tended not to be a luxury but, vehicle, but then Turo was around and that was a lot of luxury vehicles.
4: Right. Yeah. And, and, you know, the, even Zipcar, you know, has, has never made money. Yeah, it's yeah. never been profitable <laughs> because of, you know, the cost of doing this, you know, of getting, you know, getting the cars where they need to be, um, you know, and, you know, it, <clears throat> excuse me, <clears throat> even, you know, various, you know, other car sharing services, you know, we, um, BMW and Daimler had merged uh, about a year and a half ago, had merged their mobility services, their car to go and ride now uh, services into a, a, one company. And now they're backing away from that as well. You know, in, yeah. in Europe, you know, they already canceled and killed it in North America. They're backing away from in Europe because these programs are really expensive to operate. And I think the, the reality is that until we get to automated vehicles, where these vehicles can reposition themselves mm. and be easily accessible to people where they are, because, you know, if, if you're in one part of town and the car you want is somewhere else, now you have got to go get the car or somebody's got to deliver it to, you, you know, it's, it's a hassle. Um, and it's, you know, the, 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 the reality of it has never matched up with what the conceptual ideal was. But if you can, you know, once you get to autonomous cars where they can, they can come to you when you want it. Now it can start to maybe make a little right. sense.
3: That's yeah, like never going to happen. You still have to lower yeah. the cost though. Right. And that's, that's, autonomous that's so far out to...
4: into the future yeah. that, you know, it, it's, it's not you can't sustain these existing programs today um, and especially, you know, in 2020, 2021, when you also now you have to add in the costs. You know, it's one thing, you know, they all you know, they'd always have to clean the cars and everything, you know, when they picked them up and before they delivered them to another customer. Now it becomes even more complicated, you know, the the cleaning of cars. So, uh, you know, the I think, you know, the only like I said, the only one that's really gotten much of a hold in the market is care by volvo and that's a much more restrictive program which is more like a lease plus you know where
0: you're
4: you're you're leasing um you know and your lease payment includes service and, <clears throat> and insurance on the vehicle and you can only swap once every 12 months you know every 12 yeah, months that's, you a can change up. that's a very right, different
3: that's a very different business model
4: yeah i mean we've seen companies experiment with a variety of different operational right. models and Volvo's is the only one that's come close to success so far.
3: Well, and it's, it's actually impressive that Volvo has come close to success because they're they're not even in Florida and New York. Mm-hmm. Two of the you know, two pretty big markets. There, there's other states too, Hawaii, Mississippi, the Dakotas. But, you know, it's in Texas, too. They're not even in Texas. So there's, you know, there's opportunity for Volvo to grow if they can overcome whatever. I don't know if it's a regulatory issue. I don't know why yeah, they're not got in those. challenges with dealers. Yeah. You
4: know, some dealers don't like it, you know, because you, right.
3: so, you you know, you you're going
4: t- direct to the manufacturer.
3: Yeah, but, you know, so you've got New York, Florida and Texas. Those are three pretty big states that they could potentially tap into if they can work out the issues.
4: Speaking of canceling stuff. Maz, <laughs> Mazda's killed the the CX-5 diesel.
0: Now we knew this was going to happen. We oh, yeah. waited for so long yeah. for it to happen like for it to come to this market and then like nobody bought it. And I
3: never understood this philosophy anyway.
4: Of the what CX-5 was it 5 diesel. Process. Yes. The you know when they finally did get around to launching it, you know, cuz they were Mazda originally announced they were going to launch that diesel engine in the six back in 2013.
3: Right. Yes. And And I didn't understand it then either, though. (laughs) Well,
4: you know, the the idea was to get a much more fuel efficient vehicle in there. And at the time, they thought they would have an after treatment system for the diesel emissions that, you know, they could get by without uh, without the uh, urea injection, which would have made it much more cost effective.
0: Yeah, okay. but then um, somebody had to go blabbing about that Bosch thing, and yeah, you know they they <laughs> never they never got
4: you know. Well, I mean, for to to Mazda's credit, you know they they came to the realization that no, this is never actually going to work. You know, they, before they launched it in in North America, you know they they realized, okay, we're not going to cheat. You know, th- we can't make this work. We can't meet emissions with the system that we have. So we're going to have to re-engineer it, put in a, a re-injection system. They did that. They put it in the CX-5. Um, and, you know, at the at the time they launched it, you know, the CX-5 diesel actually sells really w- surprisingly well in Japan. They're, they told me, you know, uh Moro-san, the, the CEO of Mazda North America, told me that, you know, they, about 70 percent of CX-5 sales in Japan are the diesel. Uh, which I was surprised because diesel has never been very popular in Japan. But, um, you know, they launched it here. It's expensive because of the, you know, because of the changes they had to make to actually meet the new emission standards. It took a long time to get it certified. Um, The fuel economy benefit was not as big as what they had hoped for. Uh, And, you know, they, they said, you know, we're going to offer this because we know some people like to tow, with their CX5, you know, you know, it's a lifestyle vehicle, and you know this is a much better option for towing than the gas engine, which is true. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, I don't think there's many, as many people to tow with a CX5 as they'd hoped for.
3: I mean, why didn't they put it in the CX9 or CX7 or or nine? Like if the, if the towing capacity was the big benefit, I feel like the CX5 is is a smaller. It's, it's too small. Like, if somebody yeah. that's toes, they have an active yeah. lifestyle. They probably have a couple of kids. They've got a lot of stuff, even if they don't have kids. You know what I mean? Like, I felt like the the seven or nine would have been a better application. I just,
0: like, honestly, I'm having trouble with like Mazda going together with towing. I just don't know that there's, <laughs> yeah, like, that's exactly. right? the, there's so yeah.
3: many issues. In yeah. the US, maybe, like, I know
0: in Canada, Mazda is a much more popular brand. And in Europe, people tow a lot more. I don't know if those two things come together in the u.s if you're going to tow here in the u.s you're generally not looking at mazdas
3: yeah Yeah. you're looking at our aforementioned pickup trucks you know there's so many other options or or even you know even the toyota sequoia and the Denali, and there's so many other options then i agree i don't think that people go into the Mazda dealership to say i've got stuff to tow this is where i'm (laughs) gonna head.
0: i mean they don't
4: offer the towing capacity with the the diesel it was only 3500 pounds
3: yeah, so there's, I mean, again, there's so many, like, what does it, what, well,
4: it what gets, you, you tow gets you to a jet ski or something, it you, know? gets you more
0: fuel
3: efficiency,
0: it <laughs> gets you more range Yeah. and better performance, like, you know, more torque, not,
4: I mean, I, I, I drove it, you know, That's I had nice, one for a couple bet. of weeks and mm. it was, it was lovely to drive Yeah. I really enjoyed driving it, but, you know, it wasn't that much better than the gas engine, especially, you know, the, the, well,
0: once well, the they Sky launched Active the 2.5 right? turbo, the, the, their little, their Sky active engines are great.
4: Yeah.
3: Anyway, so we could have saved them a lot of money. All I'm yeah. saying.
4: <laughs> well, please, you know they got so far along. They us. did all the development, and they figured, know. you know, it's a sunk cost. You know, let's let's put it out there and see what happens. You know. Well, can and, they? At you know, least they sold like, a few thousand of them.
0: Yeah, and and the rest of the world is is going to use it more. So yeah, I guess it's it's okay, but that seems like a lot of dough to go tilting at windmills with, but. I guess. we don't we don't work at, at automakers and we they didn't we ask us we don't get to make those decisions
4: we had a question from last week did you get answers uh, i'm still uh, trying to schedule a recording on that one so we'll have that one hopefully next week the people um,
0: want answers
4: yes <laughs> and then we'll, we'll get an answer we'll get an answer but we do have a question from from this week um, from adam jordison it says uh, i was listening oh, he's a to patreon uh, supporter he listening is. to This Week in Tech by uh, Twit TV today, and uh, they were talking about the true power of big tech. And it got me thinking, should we have a growing level of concern about the ability of manufacturers manipulating our vehicles via tech once we own them outright? Uh, I embrace tech and I understand the need to do updates to our vehicle systems because the computers on board are delivered with flaws. I, really? I didn't know that. I also, <laughs> appreciate the the <laughs> sh- I also appreciate the ability to shut down a stolen vehicle. OnStar is an example for the sake yes. of crime deterrent. I have a new fleet uh, twenty twenty one Rav four, uh, hooray Android Auto, and on the way that my company and on the way that my company provides, oh I, I have a new fleet oh, Rav four on, yeah. on the way that my company provides, but I'm also thinking that I should hold on to my nineteen sixty one Falcon Futura in case I need to feel that analog experience now and again.
0: Listen. The Falcon feature is going to be able to function after the giant EMP pulse, EMP from from whoever drops the nuke on us. You'll be able to file the points on that thing, set the timing. I mean, put a magneto on it, and you won't even need a battery.
3: That's awesome.
0: Um, <laughs> don't ever get rid of the Falcon. <laughs> Sorry, love it. Carry on.
4: <laughs> so- Um, so uh, should we, should we have a growing level of concern? about Manipulating our vehicles once we own them uh, up, right? I
0: I mean, you know, that this is going to be my answer is that yes, anytime your information and your data is out there and the thing that you are using, um, has a, a channel for, uh, somebody else to collect data from that or to manipulate it. Yeah, you should, you should, I mean, don't let it paralyze you, but you should be aware of it, uh, and, and understand what the upsides and downsides of that are and and hope and maybe we can communicate with the automakers and ask them like have you thought about the bad things people could do with this because it seems like lately there's lots of tech that gets launched by people who have a failure of imagination to think about how the things that they enable are not secure and they never imagined nefarious uses which seems like a problem to me so i mean yeah you should should have a healthy respect for it um but not necessarily like change your life but just i mean it's it's stuff that's there i don't know i i'm slightly paranoid what do you guys think
4: rebecca
3: oh so, i tend to be pretty sanguine about these um I guess in some ways I sort of feel like it's inevitable, and I think back. So this was uh, 1999, so 22 years ago, and when you know none of the technology that we're familiar with today really existed. I mean, cell phones were you know popular, and I'll tell you a quick personal story. So one of my closest friends, Lorraine, she was uh, arranging to spend uh, the you know the 2000 um, in Paris with her, where her cousin was stationed, was working. And so she was making a phone call from her place in Boston and she wasn't, she's a physician, but she, so she doesn't do a lot of like international travel at that time. She has since changed that. But so, so she put in the wrong country code when she tried to call her cousin in Paris. And so she's on, you know, her landline and She's calling and she's like, you know, I think they were speaking Spanish. And so she's like, I, you know, that obviously it was, it clearly wasn't right. And, and so she cried, she calls again and her phone is interrupted. 1999, her phone is interrupted and a woman comes on the phone and, and this is how Lorraine tells, she goes, she goes, all of a sudden this boy comes on, ma'am, are you trying to call Cuba. <laughs> <And>
4: Lurie, <laughs> Lurie so Lurie the was NSA like, was listening in.
3: <laughs> So like, no, no, I'm trying to call Paris. Well, ma'am, you're trying to call Cuba and you need to stop that right now. That's <laughs> <You're doing laughs> <to stop Paris. laughs> awesome. <laughs> True story. <laughs> I, I believe that. What did so, Fidel have to say, though? <laughs> so this is the thing is that, you know, it, similarly, I had, a, I think it was a 2006, I think I told the story where I was in Beijing and And I was on the phone with my friend Beth and Beth said, you know, Beth is very paranoid. And she's like, well, when, when you get back from that effing place, you know, you need to burn your phone and click, we were disconnected. And so my, my thought is if they want to listen in, they're listening in. It just is. And I don't know. I'm not paranoid about it. I take appropriate precautions. I certainly watch out for scams and things like that, but they're out there. They're listening.
0: Yeah. yeah I mean, I, I, <laughs> I, you have to be sanguine about that. Like you look, we are, we are willfully under surveillance, um, but I, I, that's not necessarily the question he's asking either. Okay. So I, I don't, I don't, I'm sorry. I derailed this a little bit with my, my paranoia. <laughs> well, no,
4: I mean, c- security, you know, cybersecurity is a very serious issue, especially as we add more and more degrees of automation to vehicles. You know, if if a bad actor finds a way, you know, to get into the systems, you know, into the communication systems through these vehicles, you know, we, we saw, you know, several years back, you know, uh, you know, a couple of different instances, a couple of different demonstrations of somebody hacking yeah, into the telematics right? system with Jeep yeah, and also with, right. with OnStar uh, yeah. security right. um, researchers. And these these were these were white hat researchers, you know, so they weren't they weren't trying to do. You know, they were trying to demonstrate what could be done, you know, to, to get it fixed rather than bad guys trying to do something bad. And, you know, so, you know, they hacked in and were able to take control of systems like the brakes and the steering and the engine yeah. of these vehicles. And as we add, you know, these partially automated and fully automated driving systems, you have the potential of some if a bad actor gets in there to, you know, not just take control of a single vehicle, but potentially hundreds of thousands or millions of vehicles simultaneously. So security is a major concern. And to their credit, the industry is taking it much more seriously now than they were 10 years ago. Um, you know, every automaker has teams focused on, you know, building in security from, you know, from the ground up. You know, they're designing systems now with security in mind. So I'm and not with I'm much, flaws. <laughs> huh.
3: Well, there's always going to there's always going to be flaws. I, it's just funny which is, that's which is not why, why it, they're also
4: building in over the air software update capability. Well, right, but that's not the so only reason why flaws. people do over the air. Right, but I mean that, that is that is one of the the major drivers. I mean, there's also a lot of other things.
0: I I, but right. yeah. I mean, I, I think that the one of the promising things about the right to repair legislation that um, has been a fight here in Massachusetts is that it requires a sort of a common platform um, that. I think that's actually good in terms of hardening it against uh, attack versus um, every automaker building their own platforms and having their own security flaws can be exploited because you get you get more minds working on on making a secure platform when you have to have a common platform versus each one doing their own thing. Uh, so I'm encouraged by that. And, and I think that, yeah, that the, the hacking side of it is um, is a thing to be. Concerned, at least, I, again, don't let it paralyze you. But it's it's there, you know. Uh, people can steal the codes from your fobs and, and stuff. Like, and if they really want your car, they're going to get it. Yeah, I think it's the thing that. But yeah, cons- don't let
3: it paralyze you.
0: Yeah, I mean, the thing that concerns me more is is um, the the uh, the software that you know the OTA updates that fail or the software that has flaws that are, are like sketchy i mean the, the whole toyota unintended acceleration thing was there was like a software level to that right where
4: mm, um, maybe maybe not yeah i mean it's just nope no, nope, nobody was ever actually able to find a root cause in software for that
0: yeah i think about that from time to time though um so that situation uh it there there was still not enough thought put into the way the car operated because um, whatever was going on, it, you couldn't shift it into neutral. It just it wouldn't, it wouldn't shift. And you couldn't shut it off. Like uh, th- Those things like the, the, the way you operate it because it had a push button start and had an electronic shifter. Like, those sort of uh, doomed that, that um, episode to happening because it wasn't clear how to make the thing stop. You know, right. and, and I think that's that's something they have to do a better job at. And, and so like brake override is something that they came out with that that uh, dumps the, the accelerator signal. To,
4: yes. To, to and, do that. And, and all all that is absolutely true. And, and, you know, things to be concerned about. However, the original question, <laughs> I don't think actually had anything to do with <laughs> any of this. It had, I think what Adam was really asking about was should we have a growing level of concern with the ability of manufacturers to manipulate our vehicles?
3: Once we own them uh, too, especially once, once
4: you own them. And the reality is any vehicle that, or any, any device that um, has software on it and has the ability to be updated over the air. You know, you do not ever own that completely ever. The software on that is licensed to you. You do not own that Mm -hmm. software. Right. And unless you cut that connection, there's always the potential for a manufacturer um, to change that functionality in ways that you don't like, um, you know, and and that is actually a really serious issue, you know. In some cases, you know, it's going to be you know for compliance reasons, for you know, regulatory reasons, or or they found a bug that they're fixing, and that's great, you know, or a security fl- vulnerability that they're fixing, that's great. But there is also the potential for manufacturers, you know, or or companies, let's put, let's put it as companies to remove functionality that you actually like. And I don't want to get into to politics, but I mean, we've seen this happen in the past week, you know, with Parler, you know, uh, a a Twitter like service that, uh, you know, people on a certain part of the political spectrum were predominantly using and we saw first apple and google pull the parlor app from their mobile app stores and then you know right after that we saw amazon pull the you know they were using amazon web services to actually run this service on and amazon said nope you're done we don't like what you're doing you're out of here and no other hosting provider will will give them service and so they are completely on their own i mean the it's the service is effectively dead right but
0: that's now. like that's a but, little different you don't sign a service level agreement with your um with your automaker when you buy a car well you um,
4: you actually do you, you know, when, when, but when, when you, logic, you buy then. a car the first time you start that that infotainment system you know it comes up with with an agreement you have to say yeah i agree to this you know to to get that connectivity you know to to use that service you know you you know, it's one of those click through agreements that, you know, 99.99% of people never read, you know, and <laughs> nobody you reads know, you, US. you, you, you can accept and then you start using it. And, you know, we've seen, you know, Tesla in particular, Tesla is the only one that's really done this so far. Um, you know, they've done this w- with autopilot, you know, and with their full self-driving package, people will buy or lease a new Tesla, pay for Pay thousands of dollars for that functionality, and then a couple of years later, when they turn it back in or they sell it, you know, sell. And you know, we've, we've we've seen you know instances where, you know, somebody sells their Tesla to another customer or they they trade it in on another vehicle, and you know somebody buys a used Tesla, and that feature that was on that car that was paid for with that car when it was originally purchased is no longer available there. And if they want to use that functionality, they have to pay Tesla thousands of dollars again, because Tesla, once that car was was sold, Tesla went in and turned off that feature that, you know, that, you know, in the past, you know, if you bought a car with a premium audio system, that was there for the life of the car. You sold that, you traded in that car, sold it to somebody, the next person, they got that and, you know, they they paid. You know, you know, the the price they paid for that used car was based in part on the the idea that it still had that functionality there. And, you know, nobody's going to take that away from you. Now you've got at least one manufacturer that is doing exactly that. You know, they're they paid a premium uh, on that used car price for that Tesla. And then after they, you know, changed, you know, after they uh, registered it under their own name. Tesla went in and turned that function off. Yeah, and said you've got to pay I, I for can, it again.
0: I can see that as a recurring revenue model. I don't like it. Um, that makes a certain amount of of sense from uh, a business uh, perspective, where you know, first owner is done with it. Second owner, we've we've wiped the device, as it were, and now the second owner can decide which pieces they want to add back as a subscription model. You know, it's very much like how Adobe software, we used to buy the box of everything. And then um, a year later it's obsolete and you have to buy the patch uh, and the update. And now it's, it's a subscription model and you just, you're renting it forever. Um, it, it's two different approaches. I don't like the idea of renting features in my car. Um, I want a certain level of base functions, but, um, so in a way like it offends me that they're going to make me pay on an ongoing basis for stuff and I'd probably just go without. But and you have I, the choice to do that. Yeah, I don't it, it um I'm I'm more offended by it than concerned. I like I want them to be able to update the software and and that kind of stuff and if you can do it without going into the dealer, I think there's actually a safety benefit to that um because you can get the whole fleet updated uh with the patches that especially if it's something for emissions or safety stuff um really should be uh taken care of you know i guess it depends on how is that network connection done am i paying for that network connection or is that a network connection that's part of the car or, like you know it's, there's a lot of questions and and um i none of them are really germane to his initial question. So, yes. oh, no
3: but i think that you know <laughs> using the example you know of what happens if a manufacturer says, you know, you consistently exceed the speed limit in our cars. So therefore, I mean, we already have vehicles that are, you know, are speed limited, but it's like 150 miles, you know, something like that. But what happens if it says, you know what, you, you're always exceeding the speed limit. Therefore we're going to, we are going to electronically limit your car. So you can't go above 55 miles an hour or 65 miles an hour. We don't like the way that you're driving our car. No, but I mean, uh, but this is the thing is like, this is all the kind of control of like, if you don't, if, if, if the, if the ma- if the owner of the software doesn't like the way that you're using their services, which include things like how you drive. They can pull the plug on you. Right.
0: Well, yeah, but I don't know. I mean, like, I think that there's a big civil liberties uh, argument there. And like the whole, I mean, we haven't seen anything with, with firearms over however many
3: years. Uh, We've seen a lot of safety things with firearms.
0: We've seen like you need to lock it up kind of stuff, but not you can't. Use well, in it for in, it in the case of firearms, use, you, know?
4: you know, you have particularly in, in the U.S. You know, you have the challenge, uh, you have the, the the problem of of the Second Amendment, and so there's li- there's limitations on what can be done there.
0: Um, know, that, but that's not what I'm saying. I mean, it's more of like how you're using the thing. Like, I, I yeah, it's this... We're going all over.
3: But, well, well, the thing was, is that people are going to use it illegally, right? Yeah. Because it's, yeah. it's, you know, the yeah. And, and we're venturing far away from his from, you know, but it's the idea, you know, to to Adam's question, should we can be concerned about manufacturers manipulating our vehicles? I mean, it could be as much as they say you can only use it in this manner. So I think there's always that slippery slope. Or, kind or just of, that they
4: decide that, that a function that they put in there. Is yes. is no longer going to be available to you?
3: Yeah, exactly. You know, something but it,
4: that you that you thought you paid for, and it's no yeah. longer available. Even in you know, if we set aside the 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 whole argument of you know, are they making judgments about the way you're using the product? You know, disregard that for the moment, and just just the the things you thought you paid for, you don't own those things. Right. Yeah, you know, and, and right, you don't. There, there is always the risk that that's going to be taken away from you, for whatever business reason, you know, or regulatory reason, you know, at some point in the future. So, yes, so I think keep, we can all Falcon. agree
3: that he should never sell the Falcon. Exactly. <laughs>
4: uh, I'm glad we got
0: around to that.
3: <laughs> yes, you should be concerned, and no, you should never sell the Falcon. <laughs>
0: uh, I think that's that's about it for our podcast.
3: Yes.
0: Yep. So thanks everyone for listening. Thanks for your Patreon support. And we will see you again next time. Bye. Thanks everyone.
3: Cheers. Bye.
0: Thanks for listening to Wheelbearings. Hey, we love to listen to our listeners too. Drop us an email to feedback at wheelbearings.media with your thoughts, questions, or conversation starters. That's feedback at wheelbearings.media. You can also find us on Twitter at wheelbearingscast. Don't use any vowels except for the A in cast. So that's W-H-L-B-R-N-G-S, cast. Thanks again. We hope to hear from you soon.
2: Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day.